Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Exodus 14, God through Moses has just led the people out of Egypt. And remember again, I'm going to rehearse it real quickly because most of you heard it. Remember typology. Moses is a type of Christ and that he delivers his people. Egypt is a type and shadow of the world, right? It, you know, the secular, the world outside of the church, outside of Christ. Israel is a type of the church. Pharaoh is a type of Satan and that he wants to pursue and destroy God's people. All of these things. So please have that in your thought process as we move on. So this is what just happened. And now Moses is just about to bring them to the sea. So verse 1, chapter 14. And the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp before Piharath, between Migdal and the Red Sea, before Baal Zephon. You shall encamp opposite it by the sea. And again, years ago, I used to do tons of word studies. And this one always fascinated me because, you know, like the, our Jewish brothers and friends always say, everything means something. Everything does. God does not indiscriminately put stuff. Everything in his word is to be treasured. He has them camp between a place called Piaharath and a place called Baal-Zephon. And again, it's God's economy. It's amazing where he puts us at times. The word Piaharath means where the wind blows strong. Baal-Zephon means mouth of the destroyer. So God tells him, he says, you're going to be put, you're going to camp right between here where the wind is blowing strong, which is typology of the Holy Spirit, wind, breeze. You're going to camp right here where the wind is blowing strong, but also where the mouth of the destroyer is. And he does that for a reason. And we're about to see it here. And again, this is Old Testament. And you know, I'm very much a New Testament person. You know, the Old Covenant is an old covenant. We have a new covenant. We have a better covenant based upon better promises. But even in the Old Testament, there's something here that I want you to see that still carries great weight. Verse 3, For Pharaoh will say of the Israelites, Pharaoh's a type of Satan, they are entangled in the land. In other words, Satan says, you guys are so caught up in the world that you're going to get, you know, I'm gonna, you're mine. The wilderness just shut them in. But then God says this, what he's going to do on purpose. Everybody say on purpose. God's going to do something on purpose. Verse 4, he said, I'm going to harden and make stubborn and strong Pharaoh's heart that he will pursue them. Did you hear that? Pharaoh's the type of Satan. He said, I'm going to harden his heart that he will go after my people. It's part of my plan. Part of my plan. It's part of my plan for hell to come against you. He said, but not to pursue you, overtake you, and destroy it. No, 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 no. He said, in Pharaoh's pursuit of you, I'm going to gain honor and glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians, the world, shall know that I am the Lord, and they did so. Now, he's going to repeat this, but I want you to catch the nuance of this. I want you to catch the this thing about our God. This is why I often share one of the major things that happens when you begin to follow Christ is sooner or later, kind of like what Mike Powell was sharing to a degree, God begins to deliver us from the panic syndrome. 
you know, when all hell breaks loose, our first opportunity is to panic. This is why all through Scripture, God keeps saying, fear not. Fear not. And he always says it for one reason. He says, the reason I don't want you to fear is because I am with you. Now, that's one of the greatest revelations there is. I will not, I will not, I will not ever leave you or forsake you, not even a little bit, forever. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. And somehow that has to get so irradiated, as it were, like radioactivity into us, that we, that's, and I love what Mike said, like, you know, it's like you get stripped back to nothing, man, like God did with Job. And I tell you, when you really love God, that's, that's like I was sharing even before we left about SEAL teams. They strip those guys in the training back to nothing because they got to find out what's really in them when the pressure's on. And boy, it's not, it's not nice. But remember, diamonds come from coal that's put under pressure. Remember, classic old illustration. You come forth shining. You come forth shining. The glory of the Lord begins to shine on your life. And you finally said no to everything else. And you finally said yes to complete surrender. You know, like Job said, if the Lord slay me, so what? Whatever. I'm, you know, yet will I praise him. Hallelujah, right, Mike? Yet will I praise him. God said, I'm going to harden his heart on purpose that he may come after you. But see, the people will go, oh, my God, why would you do that? Why would you do that? But what God says is what you have to catch in this. He said, but I, don't worry. Don't worry. I'm going to gain honor and glory. I'm going to. And Egypt, this is the important part. The world's going to find out that I'm God because they're going to see you go through hell and see my deliverance on you, to you. And the world's going to say, wow, are you kidding me? How did you get free of that? How did this happen? Hallelujah. Verse 5, it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this that we have done? We have let Israel go from serving us. And he made ready his chariots and took his army and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord made hard and strong, verse 8, the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued the Israelites, for they left proudly and defiantly. Now that situation about all the chariots and horsemen and the armies of Pharaoh, you know, Pharaoh, a type of Satan. This means like all the, dominion, all the minions, rather, of hell, demonic forces, demonic strategies, all that stuff. All of it's coming after them. But in the natural, you have to understand, Israel in those days, the Hebrew people, for some 300, 400 years, I mean, Egypt, you have no comprehension in that day what Egypt was like compared to any other kingdom in the earth. They were, everybody else were like tent dwellers and lived in like mud-type huts or something or little hovels cut out of the ground. But Egypt, it was like under the desert sun constantly. The ground was hard, and yet there was a river Nile. In the reeds, they had built pyramids when the Hebrews were there. There were pyramids there that had already been there for over a thousand years. 
the people, the Egyptians, the way they, they had their, sha their heads were shaved, the way they had, you know, the, the people of the aristocracy, the men had these black lines always under their eyes, their, their makeup and what have you. But I mean, and they wore these incredible linen things and there was all the perfumes that, that I mean, people lived rough, but Egypt was like, it was like walking through Buckingham Palace and people around the world were astounded. Their minds were blown about it. And the Egyptian army was renowned. It was the finest, the strongest military force on all of the earth. And these Israelites, these Hebrews, have seen these armies go out year after year after year and, you know, be successful in combat against anybody. Nobody would ever attack the Egyptians. And they were some of the few people that understood steel. Uh, other people had copper and they worked with bronze, but they had, didn't have steel. The Egyptians had spearheads that would pierce anybody else's armor. I mean, they were just so advanced. They had a, the most elite of all the Egyptian army was a group called the Red Scorpions. And they, I, you wouldn't even want to hear what they put these people through, how you had to qualify to become one of Pharaoh's elite. But I'm just saying, this, this, they'd seen, the Israelis had seen these chariots go out and come back and these people and they they knew these were the baddest of the bad as you were okay so just just think about keep that in reference as we keep reading it says in verse 7 that he took 600 chosen chariots and that speaks to the fact that these were the elite of the elite of his soldiers and all the other chariots of egypt with officers over them. verse 8 and again he repeats himself the lord the lord did this on purpose again the Lord made hard and strong the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites, for they had left proudly and defiantly. Verse 9, the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them. That means came to, so it doesn't mean like we think overtake. And they came to them and camped at the Red Sea by Piharoth in front of Beelzephon. I love the first phrase because this is a key phrase for all of our lives. Verse 10, when Pharaoh drew near, Pharaoh's the type of Satan. How do we respond when Pharaoh draws near? Okay? Did you hear me? How do we respond when Pharaoh drew near? It says, when Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked up, and behold, the Egyptians are marching after them. And the Israelites were exceedingly blessed and excited, saying, what a glory, to, glorious moment this is. What a wonderful opportunity, hallelujah, we're about to experience, right, Ayana? I mean, hallelujah, what a blessing, what a moment. No, they didn't really do that, did they? It said when Pharaoh drew near, understandably, the Israelites looked up and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and the Israelites were exceedingly frightened and they cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, is it because there's no graves in Egypt? that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you treated us this way and brought us out of Egypt? Remember, they were crying for a deliverer. And so they got delivered. Uh, I'm not going to go there because you've heard it before, but trust me, anything, anytime anything goes wrong, the leadership gets blamed, I guarantee you. And often, you know, people are just... There's stuff that happens on the journey. <laughs> uh, hallelujah. Never mind. Verse 12, did we not tell you in Egypt, let us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Moses told the people, fear not, stand still, 
firm, confident, undismayed, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians you have seen today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace and remain at rest. Hallelujah. Well, that's a verse that people quote a lot. You know, be, the battle is the Lord's. Be still, don't worry about it. The battle is the Lord's. Well, there is another place in Scripture where actually that is said. But here, what Moses said is partially true, but part of it is totally wrong. And it's a thing that always struck me all those years ago when I first started studying this. Because it's so funny. The Lord says, stand still. And you will see the salvation of the Lord. But the next verse, <laughs> the Lord said to Moses, what are you crying to me for? What are you crying to me for? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. In other words, I didn't say zip about standing still. Are you guys here? Yes. Good morning. See, I've been in America, so I'm used to people going, glory to God, all this kind of stuff. He said, tell the people to go forward. And it always cracks me up because, again, remember, some 2 million Israelites is what we're talking about here. The chariots, the chosen chariots, they're hearing the hoofbeats. Have you ever heard the hoofbeats? You know what I mean? The devil's coming at you, man. I mean, they've got the, the hoofbeats. They've got all of the chosen, all of Egypt's on one side. And on the other side, they got a sea. And God says, to them, tell the people to go forward. And so Moses stands up and tells the church, we're going to go forward. And the people are looking at the circumstances and go, well, we got an army. There are killers on this side. we got an ocean on this side. Like, tell us which way is forward. You know what I mean? I mean, really, I, you know, those people are trained killers. I'm going to lose. I, and over on this side, I can't quite frankly tread water that long. And so, you know, I don't know what to do. You know, I'm a, what, what, which way is forward? But here again in the scriptures and the types and shadows here is some of the most incredible truth. Remember when they say that, well, hold on, let me, I've got these adjustable glasses. They freak me out. <laughs> he said, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. And here's this truth in verse 16. God is still speaking. He said, lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the Israelites shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Back in Exodus 4 is when God spoke to Moses and said, I'm going to use you to deliver my people Israel, right? And Moses, the Bible says, was the one of the meekest of all men on the earth. Moses said, how on earth are you going to use me how will I be able? Now listen to this. You got to listen to this with spiritual ears. You hear me? How will I be able to deliver? How can I do what you're asking me to do? How can I do what you're asking me to do? And God's answer to that is something we all have to hear. God says, what is in your hand? Now, the word hand, the hand itself in the Old Testament and types, always speaks of something that's, quote, unquote, within your power of control. It's something you possess. It's in your hand. You hear me? It's that gift that's in Bianca. It's a gift that's in Andrew, that's in Anne, that's in Astrid, that's in Michael. It's that, it's that something that you carry. You hear me? 
God brings deliverance to you from something you already have. Hell's job is to make you think you have nothing. That's one of the first things you have to wake up to. Every one of you has something that God's given you. Hell's job then is even if you begin to realize you have a gift, hell's job goes further and wants to diminish that sight, diminish that vision in your sight as strongly as possible. I got to tell you, the stronger the gift, the stronger the purpose, the stronger the warfare. You hear me? Remember, big victories come from big battles. Hallelujah. He said to Moses at the Red Sea, he said, tell the people to go forward. He said, lift up your rod and stretch it out, stretch out your hand over the sea. Now remember, the sea represents something that at the moment is impassable, therefore impossible in the natural. Do you hear me? Lift up your rod. Well, even the word rod, I delight in this because it's my name. No, but the word rod, you look it up, it means authority. It means kingly one, but it means rule. It means authority. And see, what we have to understand here today, New Testament-wise, what's in your hand, the final authority, the greatest authority on earth right now is the Word of God. And this is why, again, we are to be in the book all the time because it's through being in the book that energizes the Holy Spirit within you to bring up Scripture to you for use in time of need. That's called a rhema. Remember? Remember? If you have no rhema, the Holy Spirit has no sword. And the word of the Lord, which is the sword of the Spirit, and the word of the Lord, which is the sword that the Spirit wields, it says in the Amplified. The sword that the Holy Spirit wields is the rhema. So you need a rhema. You need, and again, I, I always just, I love the definition in W.E. Vine's Dictionary of New Testament Words. Like I said, I've taught this so many years that I, I know it by heart. It says that individual scripture, which the Holy Spirit, a rhema, is that individual scripture that God brings up into your remembrance for use in time of need, the prerequisite being the regular storing of the mind with Scripture. That's a rhema. You need a rhema. And then you need to learn how to obey God and stretch that rhema out over your problem. Because when we read that verse, and those of you that have heard me preach this again will know the question I'm going to ask already. Let me read again verse 16. Is it up there? Can you put verse 16 back up there? Hallelujah. Click, 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 word here. Lift up your rod. Now look at this. Just read it with me. Look at it. Lift up your rod. He's, now, this is God speaking to Moses, right? Right? Are you still with me? Yes. You, don't worry. You can have your donuts later, okay? Just whatever. Lift up your rod. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. 
And the Israelites shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Here's my question. I used to ask people in the Bible schools, everything. According to this verse, God is speaking. According to this verse, who divides the Red Sea, God or man? What's it say? What is God's construction? To whom is God's instruction? Moses, right? What's God tell Moses to do? Does, he, does God not tell Moses, divide the sea? Can a man divide a sea? Yeah, that's what we're trying to get to. But you've got to catch this. People... I tell you, I would say 98, if not 99% of the body of Christ around the world still do not actually grasp this. They always speak about the sovereignty of God. God can do anything. And the answer to that is no, he can't. Is he able? Oh, yes. But people don't understand. I mean, this is what one of the revelations that David had in the book of Psalms. And this is what, you know, they spoke of. God will do nothing without first revealing his secrets to his servants, the prophets. God can only do what his people will allow him to do. He has to have people's obedience. In other words, man has to do his part for God to do what he can do. See, man has to do something that's possible to man for God to do the impossible. It's just the truth. It's the pattern that's throughout Scripture. And like I said, this is why this kind of this kind of passage, this, this teaching, we have to hear over and over and over again because faith doesn't come from having heard once. Faith comes from hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. Rod, God gives me responsibility. He shares something with me. I have to, in obedience, do what he asks me to do with it. But he always uses something that's already in my possession. And see what I mean? I'm not talking about like money. I'm talking about that gifting. That's something that's unique that you need to discover. You need to rebuke the devil all the time, like I said, because his job is to make you think that you're nothing or that you're, what you have doesn't make any difference. This is why I said in the beginning, you are a difference maker. The devil is a liar. You've got something in you that the devil does not want to blossom. He does not want you to bloom. He does not want you to erupt into everything that God's called you to be. So, you know, you have to keep asking the question, what plan, what strategy is he using on me all the time to keep me down? And you have to get bold enough and loving enough and trusting enough in God to turn and rebuke that stuff and just say, you will no longer lie. I will not believe a lie any longer. I will not believe a lie any longer. I can get as big as I want to get in God because God loves me that much. I mean, God is just... God rejoices to hear that his children walk in truth. I mean, it's God's good pleasure to give good things unto his children. If you'll have a heart big enough to receive and dare to believe. This is why, again, it's not arrogance. It's the confidence that comes in Christ. When you actually see how much he loves you, when you look in that mirror and say, I can do this. I really can do all things through Christ because he strengthens me. In my weakness, his strength is magnified. See, in my weakness, in my inability to produce results, God delights to use me because everybody then will know it's not me. Amen. I won't get any applause. God will. 
That's why Paul said that strange thing. He said, I revel in my weakness. You hear that? I mean, I actually revel in my weakness. Because that's when God shows up the most. But we look at our weakness and say, I can't, I don't, I don't even want to try. You got to get rid of that. I said, you got to get rid of that. Look at your weakness and say, hallelujah. God's going to show off just to mess everybody else's mind up. Hallelujah. Because they'll know it's him. Because these people know me. <laughs> they know I've got a screw loose somewhere. So when miracles happen, they're going to know. Man, it ain't because of him. It's because of the God he serves. It's because of the goodness of God. Lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it. And that blows my mind. Think about being in Moses' soul right then. <laughs> Moses being very meek. Didn't even want to talk, so God had to put Aaron in his life to be his spokesman. <laughs> you know, you've got to really put yourself in the verse. God speaks to you and says, go divide that sea. Save London. What? I don't have the resource. Well, I don't have the resources. I don't have the skills. I don't know what, how I can't save London. It's that kind of bigness that God's talking about here. But God said, stretch out. Your, what's that in your hand? Stretch that hand out over the issue. And I'm going to, you and I are going to do this. You're going to divide it because you're going to obey me. And when you obey, my strength comes within the midst of this obedience. It partners. It coheses itself to your action and becomes our action to break the power of this thing in the name of Jesus. Now watch as we go on. Amen. He repeats himself again. Verse 17. This is the third time. And I, behold, I will harden and make stubborn and strong the hearts of the Egyptians now this, here he reveals another part of his master plan. And this is where end times teaching, and I keep saying that one day I'm going to have to actually try to dig up my old notes and actually try to communicate some of this. But it's a bit complex. It takes a bit. But this is really end time stuff here in this next issue. He said, again, and behold, I will harden and make stubborn and strong the hearts of the Egyptian. Now the Egyptian represents the people of the world, in this case, the dominions of Satan. And God says, they're going to go into the sea after them. But again, why? Because I'm going to gain honor over Pharaoh, Satan, and all his hosts, his chariots and horsemen. Why? And the Egyptians, the world will know. You've got to catch that. The Egyptians shall know and realize that I am the Lord when I've gained honor and glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. You understand God's got a strategy working there. I'm, he, yeah, he's pursuing you, but don't panic. i got a plan. I'm going to deliver you. And it's going to blow the minds of the world. The world's going to see it. And in the midst of their following you, they're going to get destroyed. Now watch. The Egyptians shall know, verse 18 again, <clears throat> and realize that I am the Lord when I've gained honor. And, the, and this is where it gets deeply prophetic. And maybe I'll have Ann Bellingham teach it next week. She'll explain all of this perfectly. 
And the angel of God, and anytime in the Old Testament it says angel of God, that actually speaks of what in Bible colleges they'll say the incarnate Jesus. In other words, Jesus Christ before he was made flesh and came to earth. But it says, and the angel of God who went before the host of Israel, the church, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt, the world, and the host of Israel, the church. It was a cloud and darkness to the Egyptians, the world, but it gave light by night to the Israelites, and the one host did not come near the other all night. It speaks of a spectacular thing where the combination of the name and the power and the authority of Jesus and all the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is going to erupt at one time and cause great division and separate the world from the church. <laughs> See, you've got to think on that for about three years. In the very end times, the manifestation of Almighty God that's been supposedly going before us, been God's one is to go before. We're supposed to follow the move of God. We're supposed to follow the cloud. That's still the pattern. Where God moves is where we're supposed to go. But in the last days, that force is going to, as somehow, some way, we don't know, it's going to separate itself from that quote-unquote assignment and it's going to come between us and the world because God's going to protect us. I said God's going to protect us. When all hell breaks loose and the gross darkness is upon the earth, there's going to be a major separation between the sheep and the goats and between the world and us. Do you hear me? You need to hear that because that should, that should give you hope. There's something powerful here, really powerful. It was darkness to the world, but it was light to the church. Anyhow, verse 21, then Moses stretches out his hand over the sea. What was in his hand? That rod. What's that rod typify? The authority, the rhema. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord. Notice this. Moses, then the Lord. Moses did something. The Lord does something. They used to say in America, God's a good checkers player. He never moves out of turn. <laughs> when we move, he moves. He won't move out of turn. We have to do something so that he can do something. God, I can feel, see, the grace and the anointing on that this morning. And you need to hear that. When we do something is when he does something. And be honest. Like when I was teaching in the war, most of the body of Christ leaves in the remember lives in the or acts on, in the defensive posture. They wait until something happens, then they have to rise up and try to defend themselves. They're not proactive; they're reactive. God wants us to follow Him, not stand still. He says, "Go forward." And something, even when I was praying this morning, I heard this word, and the Lord told, gave me this word to give to you. He said, graduation. He said, many of you, he said, if you'll hear me right now, he said, it's time for you to graduate. It's time for you to graduate. <laughs> it's time for you to move up a year. I know that some of you aren't hearing this, but I'm going to release it in the spirit anyhow. I thank you, Father, 
for the time of graduation upon our people. I thank you in the name of Jesus for those who will rise up, stand up, and actually receive and graduate to the next level. Again, we know you said you take us from strength to strength, from faith to faith, from glory to glory. I thank you, Father. It's time for many in this church to graduate, to move up to the next level, to move up to the next level, to move up to the next level, to put aside that which they had before and to receive what's new, to receive the new, to receive the creative, to receive the all-powerful, in the name of Jesus Christ, to graduate, to go up to the next class. In the name of Jesus, I release that. Amen. And the Lord, and Moses stretched his hand out over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided, and the Israelites, verse 22, went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Now again, every time I teach this, and I know that you know that you know that you've heard me teach this before, but I have to give the same illustration because it tickles me. I enjoy it, so I'm going to say it again. (laughs) But I mean, how many of you will agree with me that the sea parting is is a fair to Midland miracle? Again, if we all went right now over to Ramsgate or some area like that, and Rod had a rod in the sand of shepherd's end and I put that thing over you know the sea that's you know between us and the continent and if that whole sucker opened up wouldn't that be a different Sunday seriously I mean that'd be something to talk about on Monday wouldn't it the whole channel open up absolutely dry ground all of us walk over to France some of you buying your bottles of wine. Some of us bringing back the cheese. <laughs> but think about it. Think about, honestly, so I love to use my imagination, my spiritual imagination. God's given me a vivid imagination. I just, my God. I mean, I really think about oh, oh, the waters were a wall on one side and a wall to the other. And we've all seen the Ten Commandments at some time in our life. I always make the joke, how many of you know that Moses, when we get to heaven, is going to look just like Charlton Heston? <laughs> Amen? But, I mean, think about it. There, what, what, do, what is it going to be like for us in the very last days to really step into the middle of a miracle? I mean, not just any old miracle. I mean the miracle of final deliverance. I mean that thing that is so awesome, so omnipotent, so incredible. Think how two million people are walking through a sea. Now, I always share this as well. When I first started hearing these things about what theologians said, I thought they were jokes until I read them in books myself. Uh, This one theologian said that there was not a big miracle that they crossed the Red Sea because the sea was only six inches deep at that time but again this old black preacher in America said then God worked an even bigger miracle because he drowned the whole Egyptian army in six inches of water (laughs) and you know and I thought that was a preacher's joke until I read it in in an Old Testament survey book at school that you know people actually said that stuff but the Bible says God consumed all of Egypt's chariots and all of his horses and all of his people That's tough to do in six inches of water. 
Oh, well. But see, that just shows how stupid the world is. The world searches for reasons to excuse the miraculous. It just does. Doesn't it, Anne? Seriously, it does. It's just something that's part of it. This is why you can't listen to them and follow God at the same time. Because they will dilute, they will diminish the power of God at every given opportunity. And remember, the major spirit that does that dilution is a religious spirit that's within the church. That's why you have to recognize the difference between Christianity, the following of Jesus Christ, and religion. They're two very separate things. Very, very separate. I said very, very separate. Anyhow, verse 22 again, the Israelites went into the midst of, oh, I'm sorry, I've got to share this other thing. Remember, after this all happens in chapter 15 is when they quote-unquote sing the song of Moses. And, you know, um, it's when they sing about the Lord of the tribe gloriously, the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. Da-da, 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 da-da. I know all of you youngsters, I know all the new stuff, but this is the old songs we used to sing back in the day. <laughs> when, we, when you were young whippersnappers, you don't know what we're talking about. The, oh, hallelujah. The horse and anyhow. They, sung, they sang the song of Moses, and this is where it says, and, and there, that remember again in the movie, I just got to go ahead and say it real quick because I know our times, it's our, what, yeah, I know, but I'm, it's, I'm doing wonderfully, really. I'm already late and some of you are upset, but I don't care. God loves you. If you get offended, it's because you don't love God because Psalm 119, 165 says, great, you know, great is the peace of those who love the Lord. Nothing shall offend them. That's what it says. So if it offends you, it just means you don't like God. But, you know, in that picture, in, in, in that movie, uh, my favorite scene, yes, you've heard it before, but that's okay. I love to say it again. It, it ministers to me, so I'm going to do it selfishly just for me. There's this picture of this old man, white hair all the way down to his lap, and he's blind, and his two little grandchildren are sitting on his knee, and there's all this Cecil B. DeMille, you know, the producer of the Ten Commandments, so the, all the sound effects and the special effects of those days. You know, you're hearing this wind and the rush of the water and all the seas up spreading up and all the sound is heavy and loud. And there's little grandchildren, remember, they go, Grandfather, Grandfather, the sea is parting. The sea is parting. The water is standing up like walls on both sides. And the grandfather says, Yes, my children. It's a verse. He says, Our God doth part the seas with but the breath of his nostrils. And like I've always said, and I remember the first time I read that, God said, listen to me. You think your problem's big? He said, all I have to do is this. I love that. Bobby, how many times you heard me share that? A couple, right? I love that. He wants you to see how big you are. How big he is, rather. Just think about that. You think it's absolutely impossible. God says, listen, all I got to do is this. I can part an ocean. I can part an ocean with the breath of my nostril. And you're freaked out about a $50 bill. Whatever. Verse 23, what happened? The Egyptians, remember, a type of all of Satan's minions. His warriors. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea. This is part of God's plan, right? 
The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watched the Lord through the pillar of fire and cloud looked down on the host of the Egyptians. And I love this word of the Amphal. And he discomfited them. He bound, verse 25, bound, clogged, took off their chariot wheels. In other words, all of our enemy's mobility is going to be destroyed. Making them drive heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel, the church, for the Lord fights for them against us. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea. What's in his hand? That rod, that authority. What's in your hand? Stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and horsemen. So Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its strength, the normal flow. When the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled into it, being met by it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians and shook them off into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, all the host of Pharaoh, Satan, that pursued them, not even one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea, the waters being a wall to them on the right hand and on the left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw, this is an old Pentecostal verse, I mean that they like to preach, and the, and the Egyptians, excuse me, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did against the Egyptians. And the people reverently feared the Lord and trusted in, relied on, remained steadfast to the Lord and to his servant Moses. Hallelujah. Great story. But all those years ago when I first studied this, what was so remarkable, and one of the things I hold on to, God wants you and I to go forward. Like I said, some of us, it's time for, for graduation you know, I don't want to stay in the same class for 43 years. You know what I mean? But, you know, you have to choose to take the exam. Hallelujah. Oh, glory. I don't want any test, any trials, any tribulation whatsoever. I want my life to be absolutely smooth, uncomplicated, and just ever so easy. Hallelujah. Spiffing. Jolly hockey sticks. You know what I mean? All those things that I heard when I first came over that freaked me out how English people spoke. Well, like I, that's why I've been teaching, you know, the weeks before, you know, there's conflict in this journey. But think about it. Hallelujah. But this is what I want to leave you with. Uh, again, please, please hear this. I want this to encourage you and give you hope. Our job is to go forward. I really feel as a church, God really, really, I felt he, I really felt his impression, you know, like they say, it's like it, it's an impression, like an imprint on your heart. And God was speaking to me about us. I don't know what it is, but I know we need to make a move into the next, we need, God told me, I'm going to open something up for you to be like it is a step forward. As simple as that sounds, I don't know what it is. Like even Emmanuel, before we left, he was looking at a place that could be, you know, house all of, you know, a place under, even under the, one of these arches under some, I forget where it was, but something like that, you know, of course, where the trains weren't too loud, <laughs> but where we could um, soundproof it, have it for midweek, blessings, prayer meetings, 
whatever, worship, you know, make it into a place where the worship team can really have it at their will. Something that, be, it's just another, an arm that we can finally put a foothold. Just, you know, we have to, we move by faith. We have to move by faith. We can't be moved by what we see. We have to take a step. And it's always scary, but I just know that God wants us to take a step forward. So I don't know what that is yet. So, but please be in prayer with us because it's time for us to graduate. It's time for us to make a step forward in some concrete way. As small as it may be, it's necessary in Christ and God for us to make a move forward. It just is. time. It's time. It's just time. It's probably past time. Yes, amen. But whatever it is, it's now. But this is the issue, the final thing, the truth that's in this passage. God, I want you to see as far as the end times and even in your life right now. Our job is to go forward. Amen? Our job is to move when God moves. Our job is to follow him into the move of his spirit. Right? Right? No, really, that's the way it is, right? If he moves, we're supposed to move. That's the whole godly pattern. Israel followed the cloud. And the pillar of fire, right? Well, first we have to discover what that is. Well, first and foremost, whether you like it or not, it's the simplicity. It's the simple truth that it's God's word. This is the pillar of fire right now. Do you hear me? This is. And from this comes signs and comes wonders. But we don't follow signs and wonders. Remember, signs point to something else. London is that way. <laughs> Leicester is that way. You know what I mean? We're to rejoice in them, but we're not to follow them. But at the same time, it sounds contradictory. We're to follow the move of God, but God's move is within his word. Anyhow, like I said, I'm, I would have to launch into a whole other thing. But listen, this is the big deal. This is what blows my mind. See, our job is not look backward. I'm not supposed to look back at what was. I'm not supposed to look back. I'm supposed to keep moving forward. My vision needs to be this way. Set your affections on things above where Christ is seated rather than things beneath, right? Set your affections on things above. I'm going this way. I'm following God. I may not understand everything like Peter said. I don't know Jesus, but I know where you are. Life is, so I'm going to keep following you. I'm not going to leave like the rest of the disciples. I don't care what anybody else does. I'm going to follow you because your life. We're not to worry about what Satan's doing because... In the end times, oh my God, and we're going to get to witnesses. This just blows my ever-living mind. Satan, in all of his arrogance, his pride, he is pure pride. And we can even say it in advance, and he's still going to do it. The dummy is still going to do it. In the midst of all of the move of God, we're to follow God into this Satan's biggest mistake. God, it just blows. He's going to follow us into the move of the Spirit. Do you hear that? I don't know what that's going to look like, but that's what it says. Let every word be established by another witness. There's two other places that he does this. Satan's going to follow God's people into the move of the Spirit, and the very same move that delivers us is going to destroy him. I firmly believe we're the generation that's going to see that. And oh my God, that's why we rejoice. That's why we praise God. 
That's why we lift up his name. That's why we follow him. That's why we say, damn the torpedoes full speed ahead. <laughs> like they say in America, I'm not cussing, I'm just using that statement. That's what they, you know, John Paul, John Paul Jackson. <laughs> no, never mind, American president. But we'll go forward and not worry about what Satan's doing. But at the same time, we're supposed to like, remember what Jesus said, see your attitude. I'm sorry, I'm trying to stop. I'm really trying to stop. But I haven't been able to yell at you for three weeks. Hallelujah. So I can't help it. I'm trying to make up for my lost time. I'm sorry, Ayana. I really am. I'm trying. Just shut up and do it. I know. That's what she's, that's what she's saying in the spirit. But, remember when Jesus said, you know, the, the apostles came back, the disciples came back, rather than, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Wow. I mean, I'm telling you, man, devils left people. Devils, devils were leaving everywhere. And this is before, remember, Jesus died and was raised from the dead. But in his name, his name already carried that much authority. The devils are subject to us. The devils are saying, remember what he said? He said, why are you so chuffed about demons being cast out? He said, behold. I saw Satan fall like lightning. I mean, he rebelled against God and instantaneously in a microsecond, God said, oh, really? He was gone. He was gone. And see, he's trying to say something. The world religion wants you to think that devils are huge. All the movies, all the horror films, all that stuff magnifies the darkness. We need to remember Jesus Christ dealt Satan a paralyzing blow. He is paralyzed. The only thing he can use is his mouth, and from his mouth comes lies and deception. And if you believe his deception, you empower what he says. But no, we have the truth of God. And this is why our greatest weapon is the truth. Uh, Father, I just give you thanks. We're, I'm choosing to go forward in the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray for a spirit, for your spirit rather, to just empower our people afresh, to magnify the truth of your word, your delivering power, your majesty that lives within them right now. And I pray, Father, for a fresh revealing of what you put in their hand. I hope you heard that. I'm praying, Father, that these people will be still before you. They'll find that place and moment to be still because you will want, you'll do it again and again because the hell makes us forget. But you will put into their understanding what's in their hand. And then, Lord, this statement you gave me all those years ago, the Red Sea was an impassable, impossible situation. All of us have had impassable, impossible situations, but you spoke this phrase to me all those years ago. You said to me, your deliverance from impossible situations will always come from the correct and obedient usage of something I've already put in your hands. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, let them hear that. Your deliverance from impossible situations will always come from the correct and obedient usage of something I've already put in your hands. I've already put in your possession. 
Father, may that come alive. May that come alive. May that come alive in the hearts of our people, that we may rise up and be seen as followers of the Most High God, the God that's bigger than London, The nations are but a drop in the bucket. All I can say, Father, is increase our vision. Help us to see how big you are. Now I speak life, liberty, and freedom to every one of our people. I speak health, absolute deliverance from sickness and disease to anybody and everybody in here that may be suffering from illness in any shape or form. And even as we spoke, I speak provision. And even like Sister Cheryl prophesied over us, I speak incredible resources over our church, over these people, over our musicians, our creatives. In the name of Jesus Christ, they will have more than enough to pursue every project that you've spoken to them about. They will have more than enough. They will have more than enough. We may look small in the eyes of the world and even the eyes of other churches, but you put something huge in the spirit of these people. And you're going to show off. You are simply going to show off. You're going to surprise so many of us. And you are. I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing here, I'm telling you, again, I hesitate because of how many people just say it to say it. But I'm telling you, some of you are going to be so rich. There's some of you guys that are going to be, I mean, God's going to make you so rich. I mean, money going to be coming out of your ears. But it's going to be because you will know what to do. You will know what to do. That thing is finally going to work. Do you hear me? It's finally going to work. You're going to meet the right person at the right moment who's got the right understanding, who sees your vision. Oh, my God. They're going to be the conduit to your miracle. They're going to be the conduit to your miracle. Hallelujah. Oh, I give you thanks. Forgive me if I'm excited and I'm over time. I don't really care. I thank you, Father. I give you thanks for it. I give you thanks for it. Just begin to give him thanks. Truly, give him thanks. Some of you have big projects in your heart. We give you thanks, Father. Money come. Money come. I'm not afraid of you. We're not afraid of money. Say that out loud. I am not afraid of money. I am not afraid of money. Money come. Money come. And come into the lives, come into the homes of these people, come into this church so that we can do what you've asked us to do, so this message can go forward, so this music can go forward. Hallelujah. Yes, 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 yes. So that this music will be in the streets. Hallelujah. 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 Please give him praise. We celebrate you. Let the Lord arise. Let all 
those enemies be scattered. We give you thanks, we give you thanks, we give you thanks, we give you thanks. This will not be a forgotten message. I decree, I declare, this will not be a forgotten message. This will not be a forgotten message. You are putting flesh to the bones of this. You are putting muscle, sinew, tendons, ligaments, flesh and blood to this truth. It is taking, it is coming clearer and clearer and clearer. It's taking form. It is taking form. We will continue to speak it, declare it, decree it. It is your will. You love us. You withhold no good thing from us. We are your children. Like it was said beginning, we are sons. We are daughters of the Most High God. And you're a loving, providing daddy. You love to give us gifts. Any good father, any good daddy, you just love it. You just love it to watch your kids play. Oh, man, you're a good dad. You're a good dad. We don't deserve it, like the song says. We didn't earn it. But, Lord, in all humility, we open our hearts to receive it. We receive it. We receive it more than enough. El Shaddai, the God who's more than enough. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 The God is more than enough. You are the God who is more than enough. He's not enough. He's more than enough. He's more than enough. You have a shadow around about you that carries godly influence. You are light bringers. You are light carriers. You are difference makers. You're called to blow the mind of the world. You are called to shine as light in a dark place. You are salt. You're salt. Where there's no flavor, you're salt. You're called to be a blessing. God says, I have blessed you that you might be a blessing. I have blessed you that you might be a blessing. Amen. Now quiet down just for a second. I'm done. Everybody say, thank God. In Florida, Steve said something about the Brother Copeland has been saying, and I just was really good. It was very simple, but I'm going to say it. I want you to catch this. He just said this very simply. When God blesses you, he has more than you in mind. Catch that. When God blesses you, it's because he has more than you in mind. In other words, he blesses you to be a blessing. So don't, see, quit being prideful. Accept the blessing. Understand, I want to be blessed. I want to be rich. I say that unapologetically. I want to be rich because I have a heart. I want to help people. It's funny because if you say, I want to be healthy, you wouldn't think anything about that. 
you'd yell it loud. I want to be healthy because you know that you know that you know that's the will of God. But why can't you say with the same fervor, I want to be rich. I want to be rich. I want to be rich. Well, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. But like Julie said in the beginning, I got to tell you, I love going over there. I love ministering in America because it's just different. It's my home, blah, blah, blah. But this is my home. I love you. I, I don't, you know, not, I don't want you to clap. I don't want you to go, oh, nanny. <laughs> but I'm serious. Julie and I thought, I, I am actually in love with all of you. And I'm not, I don't know, no, you know, I should, maybe I shouldn't even say it, but it's just like my heart just, <gasps> I get to see them again. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 